As you're being seated, I want you all to welcome our guest preacher for the day. His name is Mr. Roger Tickle, and his wife Melody is here, and one of their daughters and son-in-law and one of their grandchildren. They have seven grandchildren and three children. We welcome them this morning. They're from the Mount Vernon area, and they are friends of Danny and Sierra Woods. And we just want you to feel welcome. Come and lay on uh, to us what God has laid on your heart. And this is your time to preach the word to us, Mr. Tickle. Welcome. I appreciate the opportunity to come and, and uh, share with all of you, though. I do. Like I said, I, 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 I take great respect for uh, a pastor's pulpit because I know it is difficult for a pastor, you know, when he's trusting somebody with his people. So I, I, I just make you all mad, and then I'll let your leadership deal with you when I leave. So <laughs> I don't have to worry about it. But... Uh, Another thing that I that that I want to uh, God has uh, just given me uh, in my old age kind of a heart for pastors. Um, I, uh, my wife and I, we try to reach into pastors' lives because they're dropping like flies these days. I mean, it's the last I heard it was like eighteen hundred a month are retiring, or not retiring, they're quitting. They're 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 walking away because of the stress of it. And I, I got to tell you, I really appreciate um, how your leadership and you all have treated your pastor in this and giving him this time away. Um, it, it's hard to, uh, this, one, this hour and a half that we work every week is really difficult. Uh, you know, your pastor, he carries you home with him. He never, it never leaves him. It's with him 24-7. And it can just weigh really heavy, and you don't even realize it's starting to weigh heavy on you until sometimes it's too late, and then you're, then you're burned out, and you're done. And uh, to have a congregation that loves their pastor enough that will give them this time is tremendous. I, I was talking to a pastor a couple of days ago, and I mean, they're, they're going to give him one spiritual day a month. I don't even know what that means, but... Thank you for taking care of Ben like this. Ben is a great guy. Danny Woods got me connected with him a couple years ago, I suppose. And, and we've, uh, we begin to build a relationship. We have lunch together every now and then. And your pastor is great. And no, I am not from Super Summer. I've, I've been asked, you know, if I, I'm, I'm the one pastor out. Okay, I'm the oddball here. But... Uh, but no, I really, I really appreciate it. So let, let's, let's open with prayer. Father, oh, just, man, the, the, the last song, Be Thou Our Vision. God, I, I pray that we will have you in the forefront of everything that we do. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will be in control here, that wherever the enemy wants to plug our ears or wants to... Uh, wants to block us from hearing what you have to say. I pray that you'll open our ears. I pray, Father, that you will rebuke him, and I pray that your word will just go out freely. And I thank you for a church that stands on truth. I thank you for a church, God, that is growing because they're standing on truth. And I pray that you will continue to, to move and grow with them, Lord. And Lord, I ask you to speak. God, please, I, I, please don't let me say anything that's going to misrepresent you today. 
I pray that you will uh, just anoint my lips to say what you want. And I just ask that your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got um, Danny and Sierra will remember that. I used to start church. I'd always ask a question to kind of get people engaged in, in what I'm doing. So that's what I'm going to that's what I'm going to do this this morning. I want to ask you a question. What is the worst problem you see in our society? It can be just one word or just, you know, a sentence or whatever. Anybody want to There's no right or wrong answers by the way. There's no <laughs> Yeah. Okay, that leads me into another sermon. Yeah. Government. That, 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 it is problematic these days, isn't it? What's another one? Anybody? Morals. Oh, well, yeah, morals. The, we, we celebrate, you know, it says in Isaiah, when evil becomes good and good becomes evil, when they exchange light for darkness and darkness for light, right? And, and I, are we seeing that now? You know, you kind of seeing that in our society, not just in ours, but worldwide. Anybody else? And if I act like I'm hard of hearing, it's because I am. Exactly. An unrepentant society, a society that has turned their backs on God. Anything else? What's that? Yeah, yeah, that's your truth, this is my truth. You know, I mean, even back in Jesus' day, that's what Pilate asked, asked Jesus when he's up there. Jesus said something about Pilate, says, what is truth? We're still asking that same question, right? What is truth? That's, that's a huge issue. Anybody else? Say that again. Satan. Right? right? Yep. Which I'm not going to comment on that too much because I want to talk about that <laughs> in a little bit. Anything else? Our sin nature. Say that again. Our sin nature. I tell you what, that does cause issues, doesn't it? Uh, even with us as fellow believers in a, in a congregation, our sin nature causes, causes issues. And, and, you know, you know, all these scourges, you know, I, we have abortion, right? On demand, we've got, uh, well, yeah, just immorality. Over, we went canoeing yesterday. Um, and... It's crazy. It, the people, people were just, they're nuts. I mean, we, we got to see a fist fight, rocks throwing, people throwing rocks at each other. I mean, it, was, it got a little insane, didn't it? But, you know, the, the, the way that people don't dress, I, I might say, and just in general, um, you know, what's, what's going on in the church, all these all these scourges in society. I don't believe that they're these are the real problems. They're connected to the root of the problem. And, and I, you know, a question I'd ask you, and I'm not asking for an answer, unless you want to give one. 
Do we underestimate our power as followers of Jesus? Do we underestimate who we are? Do we, out in society, do we get intimidated by the world? You know, it seems like the church has kind of crawled in behind the four walls, you know, and, and we just, we, we're, we're silent and, and we don't get into the, some of the discussions that are being had out there because people don't like what we have to say. And so are we, are we intimidated by, by people in the world? And, and, the, and the, th- the thing, do you know who our leader is? I'm not talking about Biden. Do you know who our leader is? Have you seen him? Have you seen a, you, Jesus Christ, our leader? Have you read Revelation chapter 1 where it describes Jesus in his glorified body? Who Jesus is now? Jesus isn't the guy with the lamb across his shoulders and just being nice and kind. He is that guy, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Jesus isn't kind. I'm not saying that Jesus isn't merciful. But what I'm saying is the guy that we follow right now is a warrior. He's got eyes, flames for eyes, you know. You you look at him and he would just pierce right through you, right? He's got a sword protruding out. It's not a literal sword, but we know what it is. His word, the sword of the spirit protruding from his mouth. His garment down to the foot, his feet are, are like bronze. I, I mean, his, his hair white as wool, which, which denotes authority. When Isaiah came into contact with Jesus, what happened? He said in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, he said, man, in the year the king Uzziah died, he said, I went into the temple and I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. His train was indicative of a ruler's authority and power. He says his authority, his power, it filled the temple. And what was Isaiah's response to him? Isaiah's response was he fell at his feet and said, Man, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. When John came into contact with Jesus, when he saw this picture of Jesus that he wrote about in Revelation chapter 1, what happened with John? Hey, buddy. No, he says that he fell at his feet as dead. This, this warrior, when, when Saul, the, uh, Saul, the terrorist on the road to Damascus, came into contact with Jesus, what happened? He was blinded. It says that the sun, of, the sun of righteousness is brighter than the sun. He was blinded. Did you know that when we get to heaven, that there won't be any sun, moon, or stars? There won't need to be because the, 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 the whole world will be lit up by God's glory. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? Yeah, please. I was raised a Baptist. Baptists are allowed to clap. Watching this little girl up here dance. You know, I was also raised a fundamental Baptist. We weren't allowed to dance. We were born with that in us. Then we're taught that it's too much. We ought to all be dancing about this stuff. What, what do we got? Who, who we are and who we belong to. You know what I mean? This is Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, the Son of the living God. It says in, it says in Colossians that, that for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things are held together. That's Jesus. That's the one that we serve. That's who we belong to. Do we underestimate who we are? Do we underestimate who we belong to and who he is and the power that we have? You know, this is, kind of, this is what drives me these days. The final, I, I believe that we are in the final hour. There's close to 600, maybe a little over 600 prophecies concerning the last days. And I don't think there's any more that need to be fulfilled. I think it's all been taken care of. Somebody, well, they need to build the temple in Jerusalem. No, they don't really. Not, not while we're still here. They don't. I, I don't think there's any prophecies that need to be fulfilled. Jesus could come at any moment. And, and, you know, and then somebody says, well, they've been saying that for 2,000 years. Right? I mean, they've been saying that. They were complaining about they, they, they were complaining about this 30, day, 30 years, 40 years, when Peter wrote uh, his second letter. They were complaining about the fact, well, you've been saying this forever. And, and, and he says, and Peter writes, he says, for in the last days there shall come scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Do we, do we maybe say that a little bit? One of, the, one of the things that, I've, that, that I have noticed missing in the church, one of the things that I noticed missing in some of the newer songs, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not dissing today's music. Love the music that we sang this morning, songs we sang, that's not my point. But one of the things that you will find in the older hymns is they always end with eternity. The older hymns always, Amazing Grace. What's the last verse of Amazing Grace? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. They ended, but we quit focusing so much on eternity. Is it because, well, they've been saying this for so long that we're not sure really deep down that this is really going to happen? He says, beware. In the last days, there's going to come scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep until now, all, everything is the same as it was from the beginning of creation up until now. Well, he goes on, he explains, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. In, in verse 8 of chapter 3, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. So you understand that when Jesus ascended into heaven in God time, it's only been two days. Okay? It hasn't been that long in his time. He's still coming back. And it goes on to say, God is not slack concerning his promises. In other words, if God makes a promise, you can be guaranteed that he is going to keep it. Okay? God doesn't break his promises. God is not slack concerning his promises, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night one day. Are you going to be ready for it? He is coming back, I guarantee you. He's going to come to take his bride. He told his, he told his disciples, 
I'll get into my sermon here in a little bit. What do I got? Two and a half hours? I don't know. I could, my wife's not laughing. He told his disciples, and would you bring my water up to me? He told his, this is my lovely wife, Melody. She's put up with me for 42 years. Yeah. I'd put up with her, too. I mean, it's two-way, there's two-way street here. You know what? Anyway, I'm sorry. I digress. He told his disciples in John 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. How many of us get troubled hearts when you're watching Fox News? How many of us get troubled hearts when we're looking at all the garbage that's going on out here? And, and it's like, oh, my goodness. What are we going to, you know? And, and, it, and it feels overwhelming at times, doesn't it? He told his disciples, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. Jesus says, I'm not going to lie to you. If it weren't so, I would have told you, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know what he, he say? Man, I wish I had time to go into the Galilean wedding thing, because it's all just a beautiful picture. Our communion when, when we do communion and everything, it's all this beautiful picture of, of, the, of the groom uh, going away and then coming back for his bride. When, they, when he told his disciples, don't let your heart be troubled, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come back, the, the language that he used, they knew exactly what he was saying because they were Galilean. And they understood that, that the Galilean, I guess I'm going to tell you about it anyway, whether I have time or not. Because it's... It, it's a Galilean groom and his father would come and offer a price for the bride. They give a dowry for the bride. Jesus paid a price for us. He came and he offered a price. When the groom would take a cup of wine and then he'd offer it to the bride. And when the bride would drink that wine, that meant she was saying, yes, you know that every time you do communion... That you are, if, if you take that cup, and this is why this is only for, this is only for born-again believers. It's only for the bride. Because every time you drink that cup, you're saying yes to Jesus. You're not just saying yes to Jesus. You're, you're, you are, he says, do this in remembrance of me, right? He, he, said, he tells us, this is cool stuff. This should get us excited. He tells, he tells the bride when she hands the cup back to him after she drank, he says in a Galilean wedding, I will not drink of this cup again until I come back from my father's house. Jesus said to his disciples when he did this, he said, I will not drink of this cup again. They knew exactly, they knew what he was saying. So when you're taking communion, you're drinking of this cup, you're not only remembering the fact that he paid a price for you, that he went to the cross for you, what you are doing here, you're remembering the fact that one day his father is going to say, hey, it's time to go get them. It's time to go pick them up. And, and every time, remember this when you do communion. You're saying yes to Jesus and you're remembering he's coming back. He's going to come after me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
and then I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also, because we are his bride, and then we're going to partake of the wedding supper of the Lamb. I got one. Come on. <laughs> don't, me be, don't let me be the only one here looking like an idiot. All right, join me. Amen? <laughs> I know you're Southern Baptist. It's okay. It's okay. He's coming back. He's coming back. I, you know, stand up. Everybody stand up. I haven't done this for a long time. You got your Bibles? Anybody got your Bibles? Can I, can I encourage you to do something? Can I encourage you to carry a Bible uh, and not just a cell phone or an iPad or something, but carry a Bible? I'm old school, but the reason I say to do this is because you, you got it in your hand. You can touch it. You can feel it. You can write in it. You know, you can mark it up. You can take notes. You know, and, and when you're carrying a Bible with you, people know what you have. Carrying a cell phone. I, I watch people when I'm preaching, I watch people out there on their cell phones, and it's like, they might be reading their Bible. <laughs> Maybe. I, I used to do this at a church I pastored. And, and I, wanted, I want to do it with you all, because, listen, I, I know you guys are a church that you have a pastor that teaches truth. You have a pastor that is very passionate about his faith in Christ. And he's not ashamed of the gospel. I want you to hold your Bibles up. And if it's a cell phone this morning, make it a Bible next week. Okay? I want you to repeat after me. I am not ashamed. Okay, now. <laughs> I want Johnstown to hear you say that you're not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes. Amen. You can be seated. We need to have that kind of attitude with who we are and with who we serve. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't waste my time doing this if I didn't believe with everything that's in me that what we have is real and what we have is the truth, right? It's the truth. It's not just a truth that's out there. It is the truth. Everything else outside of this is a lie. And that's the truth, you know? I, I, I don't put a sermon together with the intent to offend anybody. It happens. You know, we're in, we're in a day when we need to rally the troops. Warriors need to get behind their warrior leader. And, and you have been called to be a warrior. You've been called to be soldiers. We're going to talk about that in, in just a little bit. I, I, man, I tell you, I really struggled with what to bring you all today. I, 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 for some reason, I, told, I think I told Danny, I had, I had a nightmare last night about this service. And it, it was really messed up. And so I woke up this morning thinking, oh, what did I get into? I think part of that might be the spiritual warfare because Satan knows who you are. You know, he knows what you're about. He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to have truth. He doesn't want, you know, 
He wants your ears plugged up to what's being said. He wants it to sound like a mess to you. And I, I, I struggled. I, I, I struggled with what I, I could have just pulled, a, pulled an old one out, and, uh, but I didn't. You know, several years ago, I started feeling this huge sense of urgency about where we were going as a society. And, and you know, something, something was happening in our culture. Some, the, there's a shift that was taking place in our nation, and I couldn't exactly put my finger on it, and I think a lot of it has come to light now. I think I know why I had that sense of urgency back in that day. You look at what's going, you look at what's going on now, and I'm going to get the ugly stuff out of the way, and then I'm going to give you hopefully some tools this morning. But, you know, a planned process took place in our, in our nation and in our culture. In 1962, how many of you are familiar with Madeline Murray O'Hare? 1962, Madeline Murray O'Hara sent her son, she was a renowned atheist, although Madeline Murray O'Hara made the statement that she loved to fight and she guessed God was the biggest fight that she could have. Atheist? I don't know. But anyway, she sent her son William to school to protest prayer uh, that they were having in school every morning. When I was in school, my, my eighth grade teacher, Mrs. Gooding, read the Bible to us from her desk. Well, I graduated in 1974, back in the last century. And my, at the end of every day, or at the beginning of every day, Dale Wells would get on the loudspeaker and he would pray over the loudspeaker in the school in Jesus' name. That's crazy stuff now, isn't it? You wonder, well, 1962, they decided that we needed to get prayer out of the school, so they outlawed prayer. 1963, the Supreme Court decided that we needed to take the Bible and this whole separation of church and state thing, and I'm not going to go into that. This isn't a political message, okay? The whole separation of church and state thing, which is a lie. It's not, it was, I guess I am going into it a little bit. It was a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the pastor of the Danbury Baptist Church in Pennsylvania. It was a personal letter between the two of him where he penned the words, the separation of church and state will still be only what he meant because that pastor was concerned that uh, the state was going to start taking control uh, of religion uh, in the state. And, and Jefferson said, nope, we're not going to let that happen. And they've taken that personal letter and they've turned it into law now and they use that. It's a, it's a lie. It's, you know, we're, we're living on a lie with it. But anyway... I was going somewhere with that. Oh, they, in 1963, they banned the Bible in our schools. That's where it became, started being illegal for you to read the Bible in your class. So in 1962, they decided we can't talk to God, our children, in our schools. 1963, they decided that God wasn't going to be allowed to talk to us. And then you give it 10 years, 1973. I think we all know what happened in 1973. Roe v. Wade. In 1973, we lost all respect for human life. Because if you're not talking to the Creator, if you're not letting the Creator talk to you, you don't have any direction now. You have nowhere to go. If, you know, the people that, that, that follow 
uh, Darwinian evolution. They, they, they will tell you that we, we're all an accident, we have no purpose, there is no plan. Well, how does that feel? You know, you don't have any reason. The fact of the matter is, you do have reason. You do have purpose. You are a part of God's plan. There's a reason for this whole thing. It was designed, and it had a designer. But anyway, they decided that, there, uh, that, that we wouldn't have any respect for human life, so abortion on demand at any stage became the norm. There are like four states now that are trying to make it legal for 28 days after birth. We locked God out of our public institutions, and then an all-out assault was leveled against marriage. Do you, know, you understand that the marriage vow is, in, is a picture of the character of God? When Paul writes about marriage between a husband and a wife, man and a woman, what he says, I'm not speaking of marriage, I'm speaking of Christ and the church. It's indicative of the character of the relationship with God and Christ and Christ and the church. Everything, almost everything that you see happening today, we've got the LGBTIQQ alphabet soup thing going on. Everything that you see happening today is a direct assault on the character, on the very character of God because it's an assault on marriage and the family. So we've digressed from that down to, oh, they're in my hand. <laughs> two, two, 150 to 200 different genders that we have now. Uh, minor, minor attracted persons is what they call pedophiles. We got a bill going through the House right now, H.R. 8404, the Respect for Marriage Act, which is exactly the opposite, which I think they were going to vote on it next, last week in the House, that if it passes, it will make it illegal for me to stand up here and preach some of the things that I'm preaching. I can be sued. I can be put in jail. It'll make it illegal for you as a church to not hire people that go, okay, it's, it's a direct assault, a direct attack on the character of God. A baby is looked at in some circles as a parasite. It's a disease that needs to be eradicated. Pregnancy centers are being firebombed. They, they up the uh, security at the pregnancy center in Mount Vernon. Now, nothing's happened there yet. But there are pregnancy centers around our, our country that are being firebombed. Senator Elizabeth Warren said that they need to be shut down because they are lying to and abusing our women. So trying to save a child is now abuse towards a woman. This, this isn't easy stuff to hear, I understand. But it's where we are, Okay. It's where we are. And, and I want you to understand that these things are, are not the root of the problem. These things are branches of a much deeper problem that's taken place in our nation. They're, uh, they're, they're just symptoms. You can complain all you want about a symptom, but if you don't fix the root of the, 
of the plant, the plant's going to continue to die, right? The branches are still going to bear bad fruit. No, no matter how much we claim, listen, church, the world just follows its daddy, right? The world lives like its daddy. Why would, we can't, we can't expect them to just decide to be like us and see things like we see them. Is, am I making sense? Is everybody, everybody, one or two of you said yeah. It's kind of scary. The root of the problem is what needs to be taken care of. And the root of the problem is the heart. It's a heart issue. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Life flows out of the issue. The issues of life flow out of the heart, right? How we live, what we think, how we, you know, what we buy into, the things that we believe, the things that we don't believe, it all comes out of our heart, out of who we are, out of the character that we have become. And it's especially true in the heart of the church. In Ezekiel chapter 3, and he does, says it again in Ezekiel chapter 33, Ezekiel was told, um, I, I want you to go tell these people the truth. And then God says to Ezekiel, they're not going to listen to you, but I want you to go tell them anyway. And he says it again in chapter 33, and he tells him, if you don't go tell them the truth, then their blood is on your hands. But if you do tell them the truth and they don't listen, then it's, it's on theirs. I feel very responsible for telling you the truth. That seven times in, in, the, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, after each church that, that Jesus wrote a letter to, seven times he says, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know why he says that? He says that because not all of us have ears to hear what's being said. He says that because some of us are allowing our ears to be stopped and we don't listen to what we need to hear because sometimes it demands responsibility, right? Sometimes it demands something out of me that I don't want. Jesus, Jesus said, uh, uh, or, or God wrote in the Old Testament, he told, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got. All right? Not just the bits and pieces that I want to give up. Not just the things that sound nice. Not just the, the, the easy things. You know, in the last days, they're, they're going to come scoffers. In the last days, they're also going to come preachers and people that are going to tickle your ears. Okay? They're going to tell you things that you want to hear. They're going to tell you things that will build mega churches and draw people in because everything's nice and rosy. Well, well I, I got news for you. When you look out here, do you, do you know what words the, the Bible uses to define the Christian life? Fight. Wrestle. Run words, action words, words that say, man, I've got to, I've got to be involved here. I got to do something. I press, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
but not all of us want to hear this stuff. Do you have ears to hear this morning? Do you have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches? One of the scariest verses in, in, in the Bible, the scariest passages, is the, the, the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3. In, in the Laodicean church, Jesus tells the Laodicean church, he says, you guys, you guys are lukewarm. I would you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. In other words, you're riding the proverbial fence. You understand. How many of you would hear, raise your hand if you are a born-again, bought-by-the-blood follower of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Okay? There's no fence to ride for those of you that raised your hand. There is no pervert. You can't have your foot on one side and have your foot on the other, on the other side in the world and in God. You know, yeah, it all depends on what's going to make me feel good in the moment. There's no proverbial fence there to ride. He goes on to tell the Laodicean church, he, he says, listen, you think you're rich and you don't have need of anything. This is indicative of the American church today because we are. We are rich. How many of you are going to eat lunch today? You know for sure, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, don't, I mean, what do we really need from God, right? You know, you, you think you are rich and you have need of nothing, What's scary is the next word, you don't know. You don't know that you're poor, wretched, miserable, and blind. You don't know. The problem with that is we don't know what we don't know. We don't understand what we don't understand, right? We need to make sure that we're standing in the right place, church. We need to make sure the root of the problem is the church backed off. The root of the problem is the church got behind its four walls. We don't go so much anymore. When I say we, I'm using the term loosely. I don't know y'all, okay? So I, I don't know what you're doing, what you're not doing, and, and that, you know, and, and I'm not, uh, this isn't, a, a, I'm not accusing you of not doing what you're supposed to do, all right? But what I'm saying is overall, the church doesn't know anymore. The church is backed off. The church is feeding on itself. A lot of churches are, are growing because somebody has a better worship team than somebody else down the road. We don't know what we don't know. Everybody with me? We all good? The whole COVID thing. I hate that word, even. It just... It ushered in change in the church when it came in. This, this, the pre-pandemic whole thing there, according to George, some of you got that. According to George Barna, 15% of the church read their Bibles regularly. 15% of the church read their Bibles regularly. I, I, you guys remember, I used to ask my church every now and then, how many of you read your Bible every day this past week? I'm not going to ask you. And we'd get six or seven people raise their, raise their hands. And it's like, that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. How many of you are on Facebook every day? How many of you have your TVs on every night? I mean, we say, well, we're too busy. I don't think we're as busy as we think we are. 
we're busy doing what we want to do. 15% of the, of the church read their Bibles. Post-pandemic, you know what happened? According to George Barnes statistics, 9% of the church read their Bibles now. It didn't, it didn't increase our involvement in God's Word. It didn't increase our involvement in the church because a lot of us just left the building. Obviously not you. But a lot of us just left the building and didn't come back because we found it was much easier to set a home in our jammies with a cup of coffee and watch it online. Forsake not the gathering together of yourselves as is a habit of some. Look, we need this. We need this. But we also need to pick our Bibles back up, church, We've replaced the Bible with our own personal opinions. We've replaced the Bible with whatever opinion might align, might align with mine and whatever feels good. We've got social media and the World Wide Web. We can find anything to appease our religious appetite and tell us what we want to hear, but we've laid the Bible down. We need to pick it back up. We, we, the church has kind of, in America, gone into cardiac arrest. It, it, listen, the church is the heartbeat of the nation. It, it, it really is. I, it, founding fathers, this was the sermon I was going to bring. It was God in our country. And I'm not going to preach it too, don't worry. We're not going to get two of them in there. Most of our founding fathers, including Benjamin Franklin and George, uh, George Jefferson. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson. I don't know. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> yeah, so those of you who laughed at that are just as old as I am man. <laughs> they, they all said if we do away with the Bible with scripture in our society then our constitution won't work because that's what it was built to, to write on it was built to write on scripture and we need to pick it we need to pick it back up listen Anytime I I get an opportunity to talk, I I say this, church, and I want you to understand this. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this, okay? Do you understand how vital you are to the very survival of our society and our community? Do you understand? They take us out. It all falls apart. It all falls apart. They don't know they need us. Matter of fact, some of them think that they don't need us and they'd be better off without us. You need to understand how important you are. Whatever place, because the Christians are walking around all over the place thinking that they don't have a place, thinking that they really don't have much to offer. Every one of you sitting in here, especially you younger people that are sitting in here, you've got way more to offer than what you can even imagine simply because you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have a standard to hold up and you live it out in front of the world and they see you. And, and it, we're, we're, the ones that are, we're the ones that are holding this thing together because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Please. Please don't walk out of this building thinking you don't have a place in this. Please don't walk out of here thinking that you're not worth it. Uh, let, let me tell you something. There, you, you, there are voices that are talking to us. We're all a little schizophrenic, okay? There's voices that are talking to us. 
Satan has, has a demons appointed to you to take you down. I can prove that in the Bible. Satan has appointed demons to you to take you out. He's roaming around like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. Jesus came, said, I came I, that, that you might have life and have it abundantly. The, the, the uh, enemy has come that he might kill, steal, and destroy. And that's what he wants to do. And when you start hearing that voice saying, oh, you don't, you're not worth that much. Oh, you can't do this. Oh, what do you know? Oh, I can't live. That, that's, that's not the voice of God. That's the voice of Satan talking to you and you need to put it off. God is going to encourage you. God is going to build you up. He's going to edify you. Don't listen to the voice that's tearing you down. Don't listen to the voice that's telling you you're stupid. Don't listen to the voice that's telling you you can't understand this stuff. Don't listen to the voice that's telling you when God puts you in a place to where you're going to have a conversation with somebody that, that you're, you're kind of scared to get into, that you're not smart enough to step into it. That's not God's voice. You're listening to the wrong voice. You step out in faith and God will use you in ways like you can't even imagine. I'm living proof of it. <laughs> I, I tell pastors one of the reasons that I can, I can minister to you and tell you how to do this is because I screwed so much of it up. You know? I, I'm, I'm living proof. I'm a wallflower. I don't like being in front of people. <laughs> I, my family doesn't believe that. But it's true. I'm only up here because I've got a God that said he could use me for something. It's no different with you, okay? Do, do you have ears to hear? Do you hear what I'm saying? Because as soon as you walk out of here, the enemy is going to start talking to you. He's going to start saying stuff to you. And what I want you to do is I want you to say, no, I'm not listening to that. I'm going to listen to the right voice. You hear me? Got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. What do we do? I'm almost done. Sorry if I go over, it's just, you know, I don't know what going over is here, but Ephesians 6. One of the things that we need to do, I think, is come to a renewed understanding of who we are and whose we are. And we can only do this when we begin to take God's Word seriously again. This isn't just a book that you hear preached on Sunday morning. It's not just a book that, well, i got to read a chapter today. It's a book where you look into it and you get life out of it, okay? It, it says things to, to enhance our life. It says things to teach us how to walk this walk that we've been called to walk. All right? It's kind of an instruction manual. Ephesians chapter 6. You are an army. The reason I know that, the reason I can say that you are soldiers, if you have made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you said, Jesus, you said yes to Jesus, then you become a soldier. You know how I know that? Because they don't just pass out armor and weapons to common citizens. 
And you have armor and you've got weapons that have been passed out to you. So you're a soldier. You've been drafted. Jesus said, I chose you. You didn't choose me. You're drafted into this. God has confidence in your faithfulness to Him because of His faithfulness to you. This ought to give us a little bit of confidence in ourselves. The fact that Jesus trusted us enough to call us. He's got confidence in you. God the Son believes in you. Okay? Okay? Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You see where your power comes from? Your power comes from Him. It doesn't come from you. You don't have to worry about how weak you might think you are. God gives you power. You just have to step out. Verse, 40, uh, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against all the wiles of the devil. Listen, we are called to stand in this battle. All right? We weren't called to retreat. We were called to stand in this battle. Stand against all the wiles, all the strategies of the enemy. The enemy has strategies. He, he's, he, it is a well-oiled machine. The next verse says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This, this issue that you're having at home with your spouse, maybe it's not your spouse you're having the issue with. Maybe the enemy is stepping in there. This issue you're having at, at, at work on the job with your boss or with other employees, maybe it's not the other employees, maybe it's not your boss. Maybe there's an enemy that's coming at you and trying to drag you down. Do you hear me? The, the, these issues that we have going on around us, maybe we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. That's our battle, church. That's where we're fighting. We need to understand where the battle's coming from so we know where to focus our attention, Right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, whenever you see the word wherefore, see what it's there for. You look back, wherefore, because of the battle that we're fighting, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. The, the, belt, the belt of truth. When, when a Roman soldier would put the belt on, everything else was attached to the belt. The, the breastplate would weigh, it was made out of like four different kinds of, of materials, and it weighed 30 to 40 pounds itself. And so to take some of the weight off the breastplate, it would be connected to the belt. The sword was connected to the belt. So you put on the belt of truth. Listen, we stand on truth. It's, it's not a matter of do we like the truth that we're hearing or not. It's a matter of is this the truth that is coming from God and that's where I'm going to stand. That's where I'm going to stay. I'm not going to waver on what I believe about my God. I'm not going to waver on what I believe about Jesus Christ and who He is, what He's done for me and who I am in Him. Put on the belt of truth. You, you, you pick this up Church, you believe it. You know it's right. You know it's true. 
And then you take unto you the breastplate of righteousness. What's the breastplate cover? Covers the heart. The heart. You know, the heart is the very core of who you are. And you need your heart protected because there's all kinds of things out there today that are coming after our heart, church. There's all kinds of things out there today that are trying to pull us away, right? Trying to get us to look at things in maybe a little different way. You got to have your heart guarded. This breastplate, like I said, it was made out of four different materials, and it was really hard, difficult to penetrate. And a Roman soldier going to battle, this is, this is the second thing that he would put on. And then he says, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You don't want to go into war barefoot. You want to have your feet shod. A Roman soldier's shoes had spikes on the bottom of them. And they were tied up around, they're not coming off, they were tied up around the calf. They had spikes on them. They aren't coming off. When you get into fight, when you get into battle, they're not going to push you back because you can dig in. We can't let them push us back, church. We need to, again, we stand firm on the truth that we've been taught because the truth that we have is truth. So you got your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. A little bit ago, we stood up. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Right? I am not. I'm going to stand firm on the gospel of Christ. You know, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that the world needs. That's what they need to hear. They, th that's what will change our society. Nothing else will. Donald Trump getting elected into office again is not going to change our society. It's not going to change it. We're, we, somebody said government was one of our problems. Why do we depend so heavily on that then? Vote, please. Okay, now, I'm not saying that we need to be involved in what's going on in politics and everything else in, in our society. Okay, it's a privilege that we have in this country. And I'm not saying don't vote. What I'm saying is that's not, that's not the, the, the root of the issue. The root of the issue is church. We got to stand. Church, we got to guard our own hearts. We got to make sure we have the belt of truth on. Okay? Thank you. And it says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Shield of faith, this is a really cool thing. Because number one, one of them, there's a shield and the buckler. The Old Testament talks about your shield. The buckler is when you're in battle and you, it's a little, you can move it all over the place. But then they had these big shields. Anybody seen Braveheart? They would do this and, and uh, they, they would, they'd carry these great big shields. And when the enemy would start firing their fiery arrows, their fiery darts, take upon you the shield of faith so that you can uh, uh, not get hit by the fiery darts of the enemy. That's my translation. Okay? They'd take their arrows, they'd fire it at them. You know what they would do? Because this is a body thing, okay? This is us standing together, not, not individually alone. This is a body thing. They'd take their shields and all their shields would go up above them, and it would create a ceiling. They called it tortoising. And so those arrows would just hit the tops of the shields. And, and they, they have dipped their shields in water, so when their arrows hit, they would get quenched. They'd get burned out. You've got to take the shield of faith. You, you can have all these other pieces. Listen, if you don't believe that they're working for you, then what do you got? 
We stand by faith, right? By faith are you saved, right? By faith we walk this thing out. You take the shield of faith above all, and then you take the helmet of salvation. Church, this is where the, this is where the word of God comes in again. The helmet of salvation, it protects your head, it protects your mind. we got to guard ourselves about with what we let in here. We have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our minds about what we let in. Be careful. Be careful. Uh, the things you watch, the things you read, the things you let yourself get drawn into, make sure that they line up with this. You can't make sure they line up with this if you're not reading it. I tell you what, when Ben comes back from his sabbatical and he comes in and he sees a church full of Bibles and he starts hearing about how everybody is reading their Bibles and God is starting to speak to them, you'll bless him. I promise you, I guarantee you, you'll bless his heart. Bless his heart. Read your Bibles, would you? Pick it up tomorrow if you're not. And I don't know if you are or if you're not, but if you're not, pick it up. Start reading it. You need to guard your, you need to guard your, uh, your mind. And then take on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Need I say any more? Church, th- these are the tools that you leave here with today. All right? Make Ephesians 6. One of the things I've started doing is almost every morning I'll get up and I start my prayer time, I'll go down to my man cave, and I start my prayer time, and all that, I put the armor on. I start going piece by piece, I pray through it, that God will put this on, so that I can be ready for whatever is coming today. All right? These are your tools. And believe it or not, this stuff is, can, can be used and more effective than what you can even imagine put it on you're an army here's what i want you to go home with god has not given you a spirit of fear but of power power love and a sound mind a soldier doesn't go into battle fearing for his own well-being he goes into battle knowing that his brother has his back and he has his brother's back we go into battle knowing that our cause is for truth and listen it's truth that sets us free it's truth that sets the captives free Church, Jesus, the worship team can come up. Jesus is coming back for his bride. Are you ready? Are you ready to face him? Seriously, are you ready to face him? Know who you are. Get everything else I said? Know who you are. You're a child of the king, you're a warrior in the king's army. You have Jesus who has your back and will take you through this and take you through anything that you'll ever face.